Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We need a plan. We need a plan of action. God's got his plan, but it seems we're falling short of it right now. In Ephesians, we've been learning about the plan of God, and it's massive. God is going to save the world. He's going to repair our broken humanity. He's going to do it through Jesus and through the church. The church will play a crucial role. The church will be evidence of God's amazing grace. We're all forgiven. The church will be a picture of restored humanity. Many different people united together. And the church will be a holy temple for God, the place where he is seen. Ultimately, everyone will look to the church to learn about God. But as a church, are we up to it? For one, we've got all the coronavirus stuff. Church is not what it should be, but there are other significant issues too. Church isn't always showing off God's grace. Sometimes we make people feel like it's, it's about what we must do. Church isn't always very united. Sometimes we have relationship breakdowns. And church isn't always very outward looking. Sometimes we just get a bit selfish. How on earth are we going to play our role in what God is doing in the world? You know, I think it's the same actually. Uh, for individual Christians and, and our Christian life. God's doing amazing things for us, forgiving our sins, making us alive, making us a completely new person. But we don't live it out very well. We still mess up in the old ways. We don't show much of God off to others. What are we going to do about it? Well, that's what this passage is about. This passage is another of Paul's prayers. And in this prayer... He sets out what's required. He sets out how we have any hope of achieving all that God has in store for us. He tells us what we need. I think there are four things and they build on each other. So first thing, we need to know more of Christ dwelling in us. We need to know more of Christ dwelling in us. The first thing he prays comes in verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ 
may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, this is slightly complicated language. I'll try to present it as best I can uh, and what I think it means. Paul is praying for the Spirit to be at work within people so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. That is, he wants our faith that Christ is in us to grow, for us to know more of Christ dwelling in us. Because the reality is that all Christians have Christ dwelling in them already. He said this multiple times throughout chapters 1 to 3. We're united to Christ. We're tied to Christ. He's the head. We're the body. He's in us by his spirit. So all Christians do have Christ dwelling in them. He's not praying thinking that some of them don't and he's wishing that they did. No, he's praying for those who do have Christ... But his desire is that they might know more of him dwelling in them. That they might understand it more, appreciate it more, experience it more, grow in faith in this truth. Wonderful things can take a little while to sink in, can't they? The person who wins the lottery and has millions of pounds put into their account, they can't quite believe it's true. They they won't spend it at first, but no one's asking for it back, so gradually they start spending it it's theirs they can or imagine one day it's announced that coronavirus is gone would we quite believe it we'd be tentatively returning to normal life do we still have to wear our face masks can i relax on public transport can i hug a friend but it becomes clearer that this is true and then what would you do once that truth has sunk in i'd have loads of friends around all at once Wonderful things can take a little while to sink in, but when they do, they change our lives. And Paul is praying that this truth would sink in. This wonderful truth that Christ dwells in us, that Christ has united us to him, each one of us, the church as a whole, we are his home. And the more we know this, the more we experience it by the Spirit, the more it will change us. It will change the way we think about ourselves as a church. We're not just any old organization, but the temple of God. And the way we behave as this organization, it matters. It should be in unity and love and holiness. And the decisions we make, who are they for? For ourselves or for Christ who is in us? It's the same for us as individuals, knowing that Christ is living in us. It gives us confidence that our salvation is secure. And it makes us see why pure living matters. He's right here with us every moment. So first of all, we need to know more of Christ dwelling in us. The second point is actually very similar. Paul prays again for something we need to sink in. It's this. We need to know more of Christ's love for us. That he dwells in us and that he loves us. We need to know more of Christ's love for us. It's the second part of his prayer, midway through verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love 
that surpasses knowledge. Do you see this again? It's something which is true and they already know a bit of, but Paul wants them to know it more, to experience it more, for it really to sink in. It's the love of Christ for them. And we've seen this love already in Ephesians. Chapter 1, verse 5, in his love we were chosen before time to be made his children. Chapter 2, verse 5, because of his great love for us, he made us alive even when we were dead in our sins. So becoming a Christian, we're like a plant with our roots in his love. We're like a building with our foundations on his love. But now Paul prays that we might grasp more of it. Because it's such a vast love that no one ever fully appreciates it on first go. We just keep on learning to appreciate it more. Jesus gave himself up for us. Jesus died that we might be forgiven. It's too much for us. That classic kid song, it's bang on. It's so high, you can't get over it. So low, you can't get under it. So wide, you can't get round it. Oh, wonderful love. And the final phrase here is a funny one as well, isn't it? It doesn't make sense. He wants us to know this love which surpasses knowledge. How can you know something which is unknowable? But this is the point. What Jesus has done for us is too amazing. We'll never fully grasp it. But we can know it more and more. It will slowly sink in. We can have a life constantly growing in appreciation and experience of this love. You see, it's not just an intellectual knowledge, knowing some facts about his love. It's experience. Love is relational, and we can always discover more. That happens, doesn't it, in human relationships? You know, someone loves you, your parents perhaps, but we grow into appreciating how much they love us. We experience it. Moments happen where we think, yeah, crumbs, they really do love me. And it's the same with Jesus. We know he loves us, but moments happen where we suddenly get it more. Moments given by the power of the Spirit where it becomes real. Maybe we're singing. Maybe we're praying. Maybe we're reading. Maybe in conversation with another Christian. We go beyond knowledge to really feeling it and appreciating it. I think that's what Paul is praying for here. We are loved but might we grasp it more? We need to know more of Christ's love for us. And that will change us. It will release us from pressure or guilt or fear or doubts. Christ loves you. Rather, it will stir up joy within. It will be the power for our witness. It will be the motivation for our service. Knowing the love poured out on us will lead to love pouring out from us to others. This is what changes us, the wonderful love of Christ. So we need to know more of Christ dwelling in us and Christ's love for us. But the next thing is we need the power of God. How do we get to know more of Christ dwelling in us? And how do we get to know more of Christ's love for us? Paul says we need the power of God. Look at each of those prayers again and and see where the power comes in. Starting with verse 16, the first prayer. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you 
with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And it's just the same in that second prayer, verse 17. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So in both prayers, he prays for the power of God to bring these things about. These things will take God's power. Why is that? Well, it's because we're weak and we still struggle with sin and there are forces against us. The devil is actively trying to keep us from knowing about these things. You see, he loses the battle when our faith in Christ grows. He loses when we're blown over by Christ's love. So he does everything he can to stop us and we're too weak to resist. So it will only be by the power of God that we will see any progress. It will only be by the power of God that we will live out his plan for us. We need God's power. And that's why verses 20 to 21 are the most brilliant end to this section and to all of chapters 1 to 3. These are famous verses. They're often quoted in services as a form of praise, but they are even better when we see where they fit in. We're desperate for God's power. And then Paul says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Isn't this such an extravagant way of saying that God has the power we need? Think of what Paul could have said here. It could be, now to him who is able to do what we ask. Or, now to him who is able to do all that we ask. Or, now to him who is able to do all that we ask or imagine. Or, now to him who is able to do more than all we ask or imagine. It's not even that. It's now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Does God have the power? Yes, he does. Does God have the power to help us know more of Christ dwelling in us? Yes. Does God have the power to help us know more of Christ's love for us? Yes. Does God have the power to overcome all forces against us and do incredible things in this church and through this church so that we might really live out his plan? Absolutely, he does. And then far more still. We need the power of God. So we come back to our plan of action. What should we actually do? We need to know more of Christ dwelling in us. We need to know more of Christ's love for us. For that, we need the power of God. So what should we actually do? We need to pray. That's our last thing to say. We need to pray. Think about Paul's approach in chapters 1 to 3. He's done a lot of teaching He's been talking about God's plan for the church, how he dwells in us, how he loves us so much. He's been teaching this, but then he also prays for God to work these things in us. It needs working in us, not 
because it's not just intellectual, it's not algebra, it's relational and experiential. And it's this battle too. The devil doesn't want us to believe these things. So after teaching, he then falls on his knees and prays passionately for God to make it all happen, for God to work powerfully. And it's just the same for us. We need the teaching, but we also need to pray desperately for God's power to work it in us. We must be a people of prayer. We had church family prayer this last week, didn't we? That meeting is vital for the health of church. But also prayer should be a lively feature of all our small groups and in any informal meetings and on our own. Yes, prayer is hard. We're called to persevere in prayer. We're called to wrestle in prayer because it's hard, but it's also talking to our Father, the ultimate Father. And he's the ultimately powerful one. So we can have confidence as we pray. We shouldn't be confident that we can achieve any of these things ourselves. But when we're praying, we can have confidence in God's power. And this should also guide the sorts of things we pray for. What do we pray for most often? I guess mostly we pray for our specific needs. It's quite natural, isn't it? But I wonder if like Paul... We should pray more for foundational things, this knowledge and experience of Christ and for power to be at work within us. When that power is uh, at work in us uh, and that prayer is answered, our lives will be changed and the specific needs, they will probably sort themselves out. So personally, I've put verses 17 and 18 at the top of my prayer list. I'll be praying this regularly for me and for my family and for you as my church family. It'd be a great thing for us all to pray for each other, wouldn't it? By the power of God, a deeper grasp of the love of Christ. We need to pray.